Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Uh, three, about three months ago, um, January, we started this sermon series, uh, four months now, and um, yeah, we started walking through the tabernacle, and so I'm going to wrap that up today as we prepare for um, what's after ATX, uh, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go out with a bang if that's all right, all right, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to end on the single most important piece in the entire tabernacle, so, so uh, come with me, let's, let's take a walk down memory lane for just a minute, um, and uh, what I like to do is I like to just step back. I don't think we have slides for this at all, but I just want to step back in, 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 in time. Back in January, when I first started preaching this, this message, we started on the outer court, all right? We started uh, on the background. And actually, if we have that slide, if we could put that slide, the, 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 the old... The old slide of the, uh, no, the one, um, the one where it's got the map and it shows the outer court, the inner court, the one we've been showing. It's, it's, it's vintage, vintage City Chapel by now. It's, it's back, way back, uh, back in January, back, back before social distancing, back before all this stuff. So anyway, you know, we started in the outer court. Really, we started just with a made-up story about a guy who, who had some sin in his tent, right? Um, I, think, I, think, I think I was, I was kind of laughing that he had like a man cold. That would not be appropriate now. But um, that was a funny joke back in January. It was a good time. Um, but anyway, I, he, he, he had his man called. He sent his son out to do something. His son lied and stole something. And so then he had to go into the tabernacle to, to make offerings for his sin, the sin in his family. It's because one, one, one thing we don't often think about is the fact that the tabernacle, while it is the centerpiece of the Jewish nation, it is the centerpiece of God's people, it's also the centerpiece of, of the worship of God's people. It's, it's located in the very middle of the camp. The truth is the Israelites didn't go there very often. The truth is most of the time that the Israelites would have spent in their, just in their wilderness journey, they would have spent either in their tent or outside of the camp. So if you had to go to the bathroom, you had to do it outside of the camp. They didn't have any porta potties. If you, if, 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 you know, if, 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 if a woman had her period, she had to be outside the camp for a week. So Anyway, that was that was that was that was God's thing. That wasn't mine. That was that was the Lord. Uh, he he set that up. Uh, anyway, um, you know there was a lot of reasons why it, that we they were going outside the camp every single morning to collect manna to collect food. And so every morning they go outside the camp to collect food. They go outside the camp to collect wood for the fire. I mean they're doing most of their activity outside of the camp. Meanwhile, at the very center of the camp is the presence of God. And so we talked about what it would be like for for a Jewish man uh, head of his house to walk up to that to that structure with his with his little I don't know goat maybe tied on a rope and uh, he's going to sacrifice this goat because of his son's sin and he steps up to that outer that that the, the outer court uh, what is known as the gate so there's 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 this white uh, linen fence you know if you will all the way around the structure of the tabernacle and that's called the outer court and the only, there's only one way in there's only one door and that door is not a door that turns on hinges it's a door that's a curtain so we talked about first 
first, first off, we talked about how Jesus is the door. Jesus said, I am the gate, I am the door. Whoever comes in through me will find pasture, will find life. So Jesus is the door, but Jesus is not the kind of door that swings on hinges. Like you don't just unlock him and push him open and then you go through. No, Jesus is more like, more like a curtain. He's more like a drape that you have to, you have to literally get under him. Like he, you, you can't just walk through him without touching him. You, your whole body just gets covered in this drape. And this drape was, was, was a particular um, pattern that God had established. It was three colors. It was made of three colors. Number one, it was red. Number two, it was blue. Number three, it was purple. So red stands for blood. The whole reason you're there is because of sin, is because of the shedding of innocent blood, that you, that you have wronged somebody or you have wronged God. That's really all that it comes to. You're standing there because you're guilty. And so you stand before this large curtain, and the biggest color, I think, was red because this was pronouncing the guilt of the person who stood there. And so you stand there because you're guilty. And by the way, that, that's, that's, that's a good reason to come into the presence of God. If you're here today and you're like, I'm too messed up to get close to God. No, like messed up people are the one, like that's the sign on the door. The literal sign on the door is, all right, everybody who's messed up. This is the only reason actually. The only reason that a Jewish man would come into the presence of God is because he had sinned. It wasn't because he wanted to feel goosebumps. It wasn't because he wanted to feel, you know, his, his hair rise up and he, get, get the chills. No, it was because of sin that drove him to the presence of God. So, so look, if you're here today and you're like, man, I'm too messed up. I'm too far from God. No, you are a perfect candidate to come into the presence of God. The sign on the door literally is beckoning all those who are messed up, all those who are sinful, all those who are red. In fact, God said in another place, he said, come let us reason together, though your sins be like scarlet red they will be white as snow this is his call to you this is his beckoning this is the sign on the door sinners are welcome here this is where you ought to go you go outside the camp when you're good you go to god when you when you're desperate when you're sinful when you're when you're guilty and so that's exactly what the what the jewish man would do with the israelite the hebrew he would stand in front of this door and he would he would have a remembrance of his of his sin but in the same curtain was another color the color blue and that color blue is to remind him of the sky. That God and sin are coming together. God and man are coming together. Blue and red are coming together. And the, the color that, that, blend, that blended them both, that connected them both, was the color purple, which is the color of royalty. So this again, Jesus said, I am the door. I am the combination of man and God. I am the theanthropos. I am the God-man. I am the connection. I am both red because I have the nature. I have the, I have the same nature that you have. I have the same skin that you have. I'm tempted by the same things you're tempted by, but I also have blue because I'm perfect. And I didn't fall to the stuff you fell to. And so, and so I am man and I am God at the same time. And there is royalty within that. There's three things in one curtain. Anyway, that's, a, that's for a whole nother sermon. But it was, it, it was a good message. Jesus is the door. He's the only door. He's the only way. And if you want to come into the presence of God, you must first acknowledge your sin, but also acknowledge that, that, that he has drawn near to us, that the blue has come near to the red, and it's connected in this purple, this royal King Jesus. And so you come under the curtain of King Jesus, and the first thing that, that the Jewish man would see would be this massive altar this bronze altar. It's actually uh, made of wood um, covered, covered with bronze. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can go ahead and put the map up there. Um, 
that's not it. Here, here, here you go. So, so this, you, you, you come in the door, and Pete, you may need to adjust the camera because so, I think it's zoomed in on me. But I just like to move back as, as long as you guys can see it. So, you, so this is the door, and this is the basic map of the tabernacle. The first thing you see is this altar of burnt offerings. And this is a, this is a wooden altar that is covered uh, with, with, a, with a certain kind of metal. Some people say copper. Some people say brass. It's called the brazen altar a lot of times. It's the altar of sacrifice. And so for the man who is, who is guilty, for the Hello, for the man. No, no, no. You know, just, just, just the, that camera over here, so that they can see while I'm talking, um, where I'm pointing to, because I'm not as great a communicator. I'm not Bishop Jake's over here. I can't just tell you what I'm saying. I gotta point to it. So this is this is the door, <laughs> and this this is the gate. This is where you come in. This is a symbol of Jesus. This is the overall map. But this is the door, and the first thing you see, God set it up. He said, the first thing I want them to see is this altar of burnt offerings. Why? Because your sin requires sacrifice. Your sin requires the shedding of blood. And so the, the Jewish man that would come before God, come into the tabernacle, he would, he, the first thing he would see is this massive altar. It was about four foot tall by seven and a half feet wide. It's this huge altar. It's covered in brass. It's wood covered in brass. It's the combination of wood and metal. And so we understand that the altar is the cross. You know, that combination of wood and three pieces of metal on which the sacrifice for our sins was killed, was crucified. And so what he would do is he would bring his goat and he would present it to the priest and the priest would tell him, okay, so this is what you're going to do. And you're going to lay your hand on his head. You're going to pray. And then you're going to take this knife. You're going to slit his throat. You're going to catch all of his blood. And the priest would take the blood and he would start putting it on the four posts of the altar. Meanwhile, the, the, they're, they're, they're taking the, the dead animal. They're tying it to the, to, to the altar and they're burning it. And they're taking one leg and giving that to the, to the priest. We talked about that. But, but ultimately it's a burnt offering because, because sin requires death and so the first thing you come into is the smell of burning flesh which by the way ought to be the first thing you come into when you come into the presence of God flesh is getting burned up and I don't mean the flesh of animals or your pets I mean I mean this flesh right here this old man this man of sin must start dying and so we present it to him and we and that's why Paul said I was crucified with Christ so Christ is on the cross and Christ's blood is available to me but it's not just about Christ's death it's about my own death I have to bring my own offering I have to present that to the father and I have to lay myself down on the altar I must lay down my flesh my agenda my pride my ego my attitude come on somebody my all my stuff I can't just simply get forgiveness I must I must get a death there must be a, a funeral for Harry Harry has to have a funeral right there and that's the first thing you walk in yes you're welcome into his presence now get on the altar <laughs> now now get all your stuff on the altar because if you don't you'll go out and you'll be the exact same person you were and you'll have to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. But Hebrews tells us that there was a sacrifice once and for all. And that sacrifice is Jesus. So his blood was shed. His, his body was put on the cross and it was crucified for us. And then after, after, after the Hebrew would, 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 would get really forgiveness for sins, he would leave. But the priest still has blood on his hands. And so, the, so God commanded the priest that after every sacrifice, before every sacrifice, and after every sacrifice, the priest would have to come over here to what is called the, the basin, right? The, 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 the bronze basin. 
made from a very from the exact same material as as this right here as the altar it's a basin of water that the priest would wash his hands and so we talked about how the basin is the word of god which by the way is also jesus Jesus said in the beginning, the, the Bible says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word of God. But the word of God is what washes us and renews our minds. So it is good to have the sacrifice for sin, but then there must be a cleansing, there must be a washing. We talked about how, the, how, that, how that basin was made uh, from the mirrors of the women who, 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 who were in front of the tabernacle. I don't know if you remember that. It was, it was a good message. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you, it was, I'll recommend it. It was uh, from, from mirrors to miracles because we found that we really, we, in order to receive the cleansing kind of uh, washing that we need, we're gonna have to trade in our mirrors the way that we see ourselves the way that we try to make ourselves look to everybody else. And when we do that, we exchange our mirrors for his miracles. We exchange it because every single time the priests would wash themselves, they would look down into the bowl and they would see themselves as dirty. But as they continue to look into the bowl and as the water continues to clean them off, they start to see themselves as God sees them. They start to see God's vision of them and God's word trumps their own history. So man, for some of us, man, you just you you need to stop by the you need to stop by the basin. You need to stop by some cleansing basin, the cleansing water, the word of God. And I mean the Bible, but also the, the Rhema word, what God is speaking over you right now. What God says over you is more important than how you feel. And so we stop at the basin and we cleanse, we wash, we renew. And that prepares us to step into this part here, which is really the inner court. So all of this is the outer court. By the way, the entire outer court doesn't have a roof. It just has this white linen fence around it. It's, 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 it's open, it's visible. That is to symbolize exactly what scripture says, that, that there are three things that bear witness on the earth. The blood, the water, and the spirit. So this is the earth right here. This is where we live. This is our dimension. We live in the place of the cross and the water. We live in the, the place of forgiveness and cleansing. This is where we live. But what's after ATX? Come on, somebody. What's after ATX? There's something more. There's another dimension. See, there's this covered area right here, which means this is hidden. And everything in here is made of gold. Stuff out here is made of brass. Stuff out here is made of gold. And so the priest, after the washing, so but, th but how you get in here is you cleanse out here. So what God is doing right now is he's preparing you for what's after ATX. He's preparing you for what's next. And so he's cleansing, he's purifying, and he's cleansing so that you can enter into the holy place. Now this part here is, this is the actual tabernacle. It is consisting of the holy place and the holy of holies. And so when you walk in the holy place to your left is this candle, this massive candle. Uh, what, what do we say? 95 pounds of gold, I think, I think is what we said. It is this huge candle known as the menorah. And this is symbolic of the church. Jesus in the book of Revelation, he refers to the pastors of each church as a, as a, as a candle. It's like, it's like, it's like he says, he's, he refers to them as, as almost like, like, like a separate wick. And so there's seven different candles. That's the number of completeness. It doesn't mean there's only seven churches because God knows there's a lot more than that. But each church, each individual Christian actually, not just the church, but each Christian is a bearer or a carrier of the light. Jesus is the light, 
right? He's the revelation. So, so out here you have daylight. That's how you get around. But in here you have revelation light. That's how you get around. Out here, you understand things by what you see. In here, you understand things by what is revealed to you. And, so, and so, so we want you to start walking in this next level where God reveals things to you and you walk whoever, what was First John say? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So we want to see us start walking in the light and being carriers of that light, not just for our own lives, but for those around us. The day of Pentecost, right? The, the 120, they're gathered in the upper room. The Holy Spirit fell on that place. And it says that there, was this, there, was, there were these flames that appeared sort of like tongues, like, like, like above each and every head. Or I guess biblically you could say every wick. There was a flame over every wick. And this is what God wants for you. And that is the Holy Spirit. The fire on the believer is the Holy Spirit. He is the, re the spirit of revelation. He is the spirit of wisdom. He is the spirit of knowledge. He is the one that, that comes and, and makes his home with us and burns in us and reveals to us everything that Jesus has taught us. And he is also the one that works in us the gifts that allow us to spread his light to those around us. And so that's the menorah, uh, the candlestick on the left. But over to the right, there's this table of showbread. It's, it's a small table. It's like 36 inches tall by like 18 inches wide and 36 inches long. It's a small table, but on it, God commanded 12 loaves of bread to be placed every week. And those 12 loaves, they were called the bread of uh, the face is what it says in the Hebrew, but the Jews, the, 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 the Jewish people call it the bread of the faces because there's 12 of them. And obviously those 12 are referring to the 12 tribes of Israel. So every single um, day when the priest would walk into the holy place, he would, he would have to go in in the morning and the evening to light the menorah and deal with the altar of incense. But once a week they would put bread there. But every day when the priest is walking in, he's looking over this table of the faces the bread of the faces. Why? Because there are 12 there and there's 12 tribes of Israel all around this place. And every day the priest is reminded that God is obsessed with the people who are not in the room. The 12 faces, the 12 tribes. Every day the priest is reminded that these faces are ever before him. And so if you're here today and you're watching and you're like, man, yeah, God's awesome, God's great, but there's no way I could ever be in his presence, you already are. Did you know that your face is always before him? Did you know that he is obsessed with those who are not in the room? And it's lovely to have a room, back when we used to, and people used to come into a room, but even then, back in February, I said, it's not about this room. Maybe you're getting the picture now. It's not about the, God is obsessed with people who are not in the church. God is near those who are not in the church. You don't have to believe in God for God to be near you. You don't have to have faith in God for God to be near you. That's what, that's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. He said he's near every one of us. He is near. He's, he, he, your face, even even when you had left him, he never removed the remembrance of your face from before his presence. Not all 12 tribes always behaved, just so you know. Uh, all 12 kids, like they weren't always on the same page. They weren't always doing what they should do. But God never removed them from his presence. 
because his, their faces were always before him. So, so the, the Jewish tradition says that um, twice a year there are, these, there are these big feasts in Jerusalem where all of Israel comes together. And, and, and what, what the Jewish tradition says is that the priests, that they would eat the bread which, which scripture says that, that, that they, they would place the bread in, uh, in the holy place and it would be there for an entire week. And then after a week, the priest got to eat it. Oh, lucky them. I don't know, have you, have you ever left bread out for a week? <laughs> like just out, just on the counter? And then you just grab a piece after seven days? Yeah, it's lovely, lovely, crunchy, crunchy flavor. But, but, but the Jewish tradition says that it wasn't like that. That the bread that was placed in the presence of God was mysteriously and, and supernaturally protected and preserved so that when they took it out of the presence of God, it was as warm as it was when they put it in. This is how God preserves us. <laughs> this is how God keeps us. Even when we're running away from him, he is able to keep us so that when we come back to him, it was as if we never left. And Jewish tradition says that whenever the, the group of, of all of Israel would come together during these particular feast days, that the, the Levites that were eating the bread, when they would bring the bread to eat it, they would take it out before them and they, they would say, see how beloved you are of God, that he would preserve you that he would keep your face ever before him and that he would preserve you even in the middle of the wilderness he would preserve you even in the middle of the COVID-19 he would pr preserve you even in the middle of divorce he would preserve you even after the abortion he would preserve you even in the midst of your sin that his, your face never left his presence see how beloved you are of God see how much he loves you I mean this is crazy this is, the, this is the presence of God and God's like okay so I only need three pieces of furniture in here one of them is just going to hold this bread that will remind me of everybody who is out there in his presence he wants a constant visual and he preserves that visual and he keeps that visual and then he gives that visual to the Levites and he says eat of it he said, this is, by the way, the most holy thing that you'll ever eat. I can't get too far into it. But anyway, the, the, the table of showbread is a, is a beautiful picture of how beloved we are of God. And when you come a little further, right in front of the curtain, there is this thing called the altar of incense. And that altar of incense, that altar of incense, that's, that's our worship. That's what David said. David said, may my, may my prayers be like incense and the lifting of my hand like the evening sacrifice. In other words, my prayers and my worship are this, this sweet-smelling incense that rises to God. Look, no matter where you are, you don't have to be in church, obviously, to have instant connection with God. That the, the God, said, God said, look, when you, when, when, you, when you start making incense, the smell of that rises up to me, and it is a pleasing fragrance to me. It's pleasing. And worship is more than a song. Worship is not just, well, every time I turn on YouTube with Hillsong, then I just, I'm in his presence. And this actually makes a lot more sense because like a couple months ago, I had to try to explain to people that worship is not about making you feel close to God that we don't worship because we feel close to God. Rather, we worship because we are close to God. You see, the blood of the lamb is what brings us close to God. By the time you get here, 
All you can do is worship. Many of us, though, we want to skip. We want to bypass that. We want the feeling of getting close to God. So we'll go to a building with lots of people, and we'll, we'll sing the song that we know that we heard on the radio that just gives us goosebumps, and we love it. And we'll sing it, and we'll feel close to God, and we'll say, yes, okay, I'm close to God. But look, look, if, 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 if social distancing, quarantine has taught you anything, hasn't it taught you that those feelings are fleeting? Hasn't it taught you that those feelings are not valuable? Those, fe those feelings are not what bring you closer to God? I, I think in many ways it's actually a really good thing that's happening to the church right now because it's breaking down our addiction to haze and to fog lights and to, to big screens and to great, uh, uh, great talent and to beautiful melodies. It's breaking down our addiction to the feeling of the room and it's causing us to go back to, wait a minute, why am I close to God in the first place? Look, it is only because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, which is exactly what happens. See, because this altar of incense is, is in front of this veil and nobody's gonna go past the veil nobody's going to make it that veil is an extra thick veil it separates the holy place from the most holy place and yet scripture tells us that when christ was crucified he was hanging on the cross and a roman soldier took a spear and he stuck it into jesus's side and he and he ripped open his side so that blood and water began to pour out and i'm thankful for what poured out because that blood is what cleanses me is what purifies me What's the hymn? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I'm thankful for what poured out of him. But at the same time, Jesus is being crucified outside the city. At the same time that, that his flesh is being torn open by the spear that's into his side and this blood is flowing out for our cleansing and for our redemption and for our healing. And, and, and that's wonderful. But, but, but a little, little, little bit in the distance, in the middle of the city, at the highest point of the city, there was, there was a temple on the Temple Mountain. Inside the temple, at the very center of the temple, there was this veil that divided the holy place from the most holy place. And the Bible says that when Jesus' flesh was was torn that something else began to be torn the veil because the the veil is is symbolic it's a type and shadow of the flesh of Jesus that when Jesus flesh was torn not only did blood come out but you and I could now come in now we have access do you understand the price of access now we have access if any man be in Christ he is a new creation if any man be in Christ and so as Christ was cut open the access was was broken open so that we may now come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need we have access you have access right now this is why this is why as we were singing you know he knows my name that's just what I, I began to feel that that if we understood the power of our access we would stop begging people we would stop begging people to do for us what only God can do. We would stop looking for people to meet some need that only God can meet. We would stop, we would stop trying to force our children to be something that they could never be. 
If we knew the power of access, if you knew that at any given moment, wherever you are, you could be in the car, you could be in the living room, all you do is say the name of Jesus and suddenly the veil is torn open and you have immediate access to the very presence of God. I don't need you to come check on me in the hospital. I have access to God. I don't need a phone call or a text message to see how. I have access to God. It's lovely that you're thinking of me, and that's really great, but God knows my name. The maker of the universe knows my name. The one who speaks to winds and waves and they calm down. I mean, he's got way more power than you could ever have. He knows my name. I have access to him. I don't need to tell you my trouble. I can tell him my trouble. Oh, what grief we often forfeit oh what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer because we don't take the access that's there like the veil has been torn open this thing is is wide open for us to enter into his presence and it was by the blood of Jesus and so we enter into the holy of holies the holy of holies We've talked about this in several different ways, but this outer court is very much the earthly realm. This is the physical. Uh, The holy place is the next level. Uh, But the holy of holies is, I think, what Paul talked about as the third heaven. It's the third. If there's a third, that means there's a one and a two and a three. I'm just deductive reasoning so my guess is that this here is the first heaven this is the second heaven this is where we're seated with Christ in heavenly places on the menorah this is where this is where we receive and our faces are ever before him in the presence of God but there's another level there's a third heaven there's a place there's a new Jerusalem because the dimensions actually of this room are the exact same mathematically the same dimensions as the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven in the book of Revelation so this place it's not it's not it's not it's not a geographical place it's a dimension And as we step into the Holy of Holies, there's only one piece of furniture, and it's called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Now, I talked about this for the past two weeks. Um, Last week, we talked about the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, yeah, that's that's the picture right there. And yeah, if you want to go and switch to it so they can see it on their screen, um, this is sort of a, a computer rendition of what it may have looked like or probably would have looked like. This is the Ark of the Covenant. God gives us some instructions in Exodus 25 about this. And so just while you're, while you're, while you're looking at it, you can go ahead and keep that up. Um, or no, let's switch to the scripture. We have scripture in Exodus 25, verse 10. God says, have them make an ark. This is the NIV version. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, a cubit and a half high. So a cubit is about 18 inches. Um, so you can see about the size um, of this. It's not very big. He says, overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out. That's important. It's the only piece of furniture that has gold on the inside. Make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to the four feet. The two rings on one side, two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood. Overlay them with gold. Insert the poles in the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They are not to be removed. Then put the ark... Uh, then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law which I will give you that's why it's called the ark of the covenant because it is the ark that's carrying the covenant the tablets that's the covenant 
Uh, we call them the Ten Commandments. It's the, the, the two tablets of stone that God, with his finger, wrote the Ten Commandments on and gave to Moses. Moses carried down from the mountain. It is, we call them commandments. God calls them covenant. I think that's interesting. He says, put the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you, inside of this box. We understand also, if we can go, if we can just come back to me, we understand also that there's, there's, there's a couple other things inside the box, and I have another slide for this. There's a couple other things inside the box which, which, we, which we learn about. So if we could put that other slide up. Uh, there was a few things. Number one, there were the tablets there. Um, and you'll see those tablets of stone. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But number two, there was this, this, this bowl right here of, of manna. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how the man, God wanted manna preserved in his presence. Because manna is a sign, is a symbol of his provision for his people. And God is so proud of the fact that he is a provider. This is what's, what's amazing to me. People are so afraid to come into the presence of God. They're so fearful that he's going to judge them, that he's going to condemn them, that he's going to sentence them to an eternity of, of suffering. And yet, when, when the Bible tells us about his presence, look, he's got a bowl of his provision. God's sitting there with a bowl full of manna. In his presence, there is unlimited supply of provision. And he's so proud of that. He's so proud that he is our provider. He's so proud that even in the middle of a desert that he caused food to rain down from heaven and he took care of his people. God is so proud of that. And then he said, I also want you to keep this rod right here. You see that rod? That's the rod I talked about last week, the stick, the story of the stick. It's Aaron's rod that budded, which is a sign of God's, of God's sovereignty, that God chose the Levites, that God chose Aaron, and that God brought life out of dead things. Once again, you step into his presence expecting him to smite the <laughs> almighty smiter but but instead you come into a place where there's constant remembrance of provision and then there's constant remembrance of sovereignty that whatever you're going through god hasn't vacated the throne whatever covid19 is affecting your area or your country or your zip code god hasn't stepped down from being in control all of his promises are still yes and amen he is still a provider he's still good even in his presence he's not smiting people he's revealing more and more of his goodness he's like yeah did you see that thing i did for 40 years in the wilderness check this out yeah, did you see that rod that I brought back to life after it had been dead for so many years? Like, this is who I am. And so also, though, within this box are these tablets of stone. And we're going to get to that in, in just a minute. Let's go back to the scripture. He says in verse 17, I want you to make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. So you have the box, which is made of wood covered in gold, and then you have a cover which is made of pure gold and make two cherubim out of it hammered gold at the ends of the cover make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at two ends the cherubim are to have their wings spread upward and overshadowing the cover with them the cherubim are to face each other looking toward the cover i talked about this i don't know a while ago this this is a symbol of worship our wings are our hands are touching and our, our faces are facing each other, but we're not focused on each other. Our focus, their focus is downward onto the cover. And so the cherubim are to face each other looking toward the cover. By the way, if you're reading the King James, it says the mercy seat. 
That's what the King James calls the mercy seat. Uh, but technically, there's the word seat is not there, and the word mercy is not necessarily there either. There's the, it's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word, which also the word cover isn't there either. So just to make it nice and tricky, it's a Hebrew word that literally means the, the atonement. So this cover is the atonement. Uh, so we'll get into that here in a minute. Place the cover on top of the ark, put the ark, put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I'll give you, and there above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you. This is where God meets with us. Where? There, on top of the cover. I want to talk to you for a minute about this ark. It is the ark of the covenant meaning it carries with it the commands of God, which are also the expectations of God. But even more so than expectations and commands, it is a path to relationship with God. That's what the Ten Commandments are. It is, it is righteousness. It is God looking at sinful people saying, look, if I'm going to dwell with you, this is how I can fellowship with you. You have to you have to step up into righteousness. If you will live by these things, then I will be able to fellowship with you. And so many of you know the Ten Commandments, right? It starts off with, it starts off with God, by the way. I am the Lord. That's what he says. The whole Ten Commandments starts with God telling us who he is. I am the Lord God. Therefore, in, in light of this, let me tell you all these, these Ten Commandments. Based on who I am, based on my character, based on how you can enter into relationship with me, let me tell you how to do this. And so the first four commandments, by the way, are all about how we interact with him. How it's, it has to do with um, honoring the Sabbath day. It has to do with not taking his name in vain or not using it or misusing it. It has to do with keeping him as the number one in our life and not having any gods beside him or before him. It also has to do with not creating any, any graven images. Which, by the way, when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? Jesus didn't even mention one of these ten. He said, the first and foremost is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He lists four things, and there are four initial commandments that have to do with how we deal with God. So you go connect the dots at home in your Bible study. Check it out. But Jesus, and then he says the second one is a lot like it, though. He said, the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And all the next six commandments have to do with us and our neighbor. Has to do with people. So don't lie, don't steal, don't covet. Uh, uh, I don't know, there's, 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 there's a few others in there. All having to do, don't murder, don't kill. All having to do with how we treat others. And so Jesus wrapped it all up in the two sayings. He says, first love God with these four things. That covers the top four. And then love your neighbor as yourself. You wouldn't lie to yourself. You wouldn't steal from yourself. You wouldn't covet yourself or things that you currently own. So, so rather treat people, love people in the same way that you love yourself. And so that is God's expectation of us, but it's also the path to fellowship with God. And God created this box and it's called the box of the covenant or the box of the tablets, or the ark, the chest of the, of, the, of the tablets. And he said, now put the tablets in there. And then he said, but don't leave it open. We have to cover it. There must be a covering. There must be an atonement. 
This is what's so interesting because many times when people preach on this and talk on this, I, I did a lot of research and everybody just talks about how, how there's this covering and, and, and every, once, once a year, and this is the most important thing about the covering, once a year the priest would walk in with the blood of the sacrificial lamb and he would, he would sprinkle it or dip it or touch it onto the cover seven times because seven is the number of God. This is prophetic about the blood of God which would be applied to our lives. But this, 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 this cover, though, it doesn't represent our lives. It's not us. We are not pure gold. I mean, I'm not. I don't know. <laughs> you might think you have a heart of gold, but, uh, you know, um, I don't know. That doesn't seem like it fits with me. It's weird that the blood, I would think the blood would need to be applied to me. Why doesn't he put it on something that's corruptible? Why doesn't he put it on something that's broken? Why doesn't he put it, what, like, why doesn't he put it on the priest? No, he puts it on this pure gold cover. And so, and so some people say, well, that's because it's covering our sin. Jesus covers our sin. But inside the box was not sin. In the box is the pure commandment of God. So to help explain this a little bit, you're going to need to turn to Romans chapter 3. And I, I don't think I have this, I don't have this on the screen. I'm just going to read from Romans chapter 3. You've probably read this several times. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 tells us, it says, But now, in other words, there's a difference between what was and what is. Paul says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Apart from the law, that's the tablets. The tablets of the covenant law. Apart from that, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. By the way, this, this, this box is known as the Ark of the Testimony. And um, I, think, I, think, I, I think Moses kind of gets this wrong a little bit because uh, when Moses is about to die, he, he says he's going to add extra stuff into the Ark of the Testimony, by the way. I don't know if you read that part. It's kind of weird. Like God told him to put the tablets in there. But then before Moses dies, he says he's going to put the whole law, like the whole, th the whole Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He says, I'm going to put all the things I've been writing about, I'm going to put them all in there, he says, as a testimony against Israel you. And so Moses, he was tired, man. He's done. He's like, you know what? Forget y'all, you know? He, he was done. And he says, look, I'm going to, everything from Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy, I'm, this is going to be a testimony against you. This is how good God's been. This is how lame you've been. And that's what he says. He says, because I know that you're a stiff-necked, rebellious people, and I know when I die, you're just going to go off and do whatever you want. And so Moses, Moses says it's a testimony against the people. I don't remember God saying that, though. I remember God saying that it's a testimony. It's an ark of the testimony. In fact, several times when God talks about coming before him, he says, come before the testimony, stand before the testimony. It's, this is God's testimony. So it's not, I don't believe it's a testimony against the people. Rather, it is a testimony for God. And this is what Romans says. It says that the law, those tablets, and the prophets testify to this. To what? To the righteousness of God. This is to testify to the fact that God is good, that God is holy, that God is righteous. And then it says here in Romans uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus Christ to all who believe. This, or verse 22 says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Now that, that, that's the NIV, sacrifice of atonement. In the original language, though, it's the exact same word in the Greek. It's the exact same word that was used in the, in the Septuagint of Exodus chapter 25, the cover. So he's literally, he's using the exact same word. He says, look, Christ is the cover. Christ is the atonement. Christ didn't make atonement. Christ is the atonement. He is the cover. And the cover doesn't cover the sins of the people. It covers the commandments of God. Now, why would you need to cover the commands of God? Look here, he says, Christ is our atonement. Through the shedding of his blood that was placed on, the, 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 the cover has to bleed. <laughs> the cover needed to bleed. And so the cover through the shedding of his blood in order to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate, here it is again, his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. In other words, the whole reason why, why Christ would cover the commandments is to testify to the greatness and the glory of God. And Jesus shed his blood to activate the commandments. To activate the commandments so that now through him. See, you, you can't get to the commandments unless you go through the cover. You can't read the commandments unless you first open up the cover. You can't get to it. And that's the idea that you are not meant to go to the commandments except through the blood of Jesus. So that it doesn't cover our sins so that God doesn't see it anymore. Because that would just make God like blind. Jesus didn't like spray blood in God's eyes. I can't see you. Oh, I can see it's Jesus. Oh, God can still see everything. Like he's just, he's fine. He, his eyes work good. He can see everything. He doesn't have blood stuck in his eyes. Everything's kind of rose colored. Like that's just, that's weird. No, God, God sees everything. He's always seen everything. The testimony was never about condemning the people. It was about letting the people know, number one, that they were in sin so that they would draw near to him. And so after they drew near to him, he said, now in order to access the commandments, the Ten Commandments, love God with everything, love your neighbor as yourself, in order to do that, you must come through the cover, through the blood, through Jesus. Jesus is the one who empowers us. He empowers us to live the life that God commands us to live. Which is why if you start with trying to live it in order to be pleasing to him, you'll never figure it out. Which is also why I like the NIV version of Romans 3 because King James uses a word that is also not really in there. It uses the word propitiation. It says that he is our propitiation, which I think is a terrible uh, translation. Propitiation is a pagan term meaning to appease an angry deity. Although that is mo most of our, our version of God, isn't it? <laughs> He's angry. He needs appeased. But 
No. What does Scripture say? Scripture says that when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, he came up out of the water, and his father, not an angry deity, his father said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Not appeased, but pleased. It sounds similar, but it's very different. To be appeased is to do the bare minimum to hold off judgment. But to be pleased, that's to enter into relationship. This is my beloved son. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This, by the way, this is where God meets us. God meets us at the place of his pleasure. He calls you and draws you in. You say, I'm not, I'm not clean. I'm not perfect. I'm not good. No, no, no. Nobody is, and you don't have to be. But you must come through the cover. Don't try to clean yourself up. Come to the cover. Come to Jesus. Come to the cross. And in fact, don't stop at the cross. Because nearby, there's this grave. There's this tomb. And I don't know if you remember this, but maybe I'll preach on this next week. But on, on Easter Sunday, right when the ladies... When the ladies went to the tomb, do you remember what they saw? Do you remember the first thing they saw? They stuck their head in the tomb and they, they like, like where Jesus' body was, his body wasn't there anymore. But do you remember what was there? There's two angels, one at his head and one at his feet. <laughs> kind of like one at each end. And they were, they were looking down at the place where he lay. He is the cover. He is the perfect cover. And the cover wasn't there anymore. The cover had gone, <laughs> had gone up to the real sanctuary, to the real tabernacle. In order to activate the promises of God, in order to activate the testimony of God, in order to, to activate the glory of God being established over all of us, in order to activate His will for us, in order to activate the covenant that He had made with us, covenant won't be activated until the cover bleeds and when the cover bleeds and it, it is raised up and it's placed on top of the ark now he says that's where I'll meet with you I won't meet with you in your righteousness I won't meet with you in your in your attempts that attempts at doing what is right I won't meet with you in your in your in your in your kindness I won't meet with you in your social distancing I won't meet with you in in all of your attempts at being who you think you ought to be I will meet with you exactly where the cover bleeds exactly where the empty tomb is exactly where my son shed his blood and provided access for you that's where I'll meet with you and he will meet with you there. He will. Uh, I was, I was so pleased. And I, I just want to close with this. I was so pleased, so encouraged, I guess, to see. Um, it was last. It was last Sunday. Uh, last Sunday night, I was scrolling through, scrolling through Facebook, as so many of us do. <laughs> and I saw uh, a member of our church post a testimony, and I, I took a quick snapshot of it. Um, she said, this is Sunday. She said, when I was 10 years old, God decided it would be, be, be better for my brother who was 12 to be in heaven with him. I had been in church all my life and I knew about the love of God, his miracles and all the Bible stories that was told to the kids. And when God took my brother to be with him, he took me in his arms, he comforted me. He drew me close. He talked 
uh, he talked with, he walked with me and taught me of his love for me. All my time was spent with him alone, just me and Jesus riding uh, on my huffy bicycle. And it's, it's so awesome because this person, well, I don't know, I guess that got 26 likes and eight comments. Um, but this, this, this person, like being her pastor, is awesome because I, I know what it took for her to even just post that testimony. Like it's not easy to share some of the most difficult moments in your life. But it's such a beautiful reminder that God is there. There I will meet with you. And this is something God's been challenging me on, especially as I have memories that um, are scarring. I don't know if you have memories that scar. You know, memories that keep playing over in your mind over and over again, and they, they, they tell you things that are not true. But the memory's true. It's so hard. You say, well, how do I, how do I derive a different answer from this old memory? I just feel like that statement, there I'll meet with you, is exactly what God's saying. He said, well, you, you, had just, you just have to, you have to answer the question, where was God? what this lady did where was God when my brother was in the hospital oh he was talking to me on my bike where was God when I couldn't go see him and he never came out of the hospital he was drawing me close and it was then during that time that she actually gave her life to God that she actually began this relationship with God beyond just church and so during this time of quarantine I feel like God's calling so many people to the cover. He's calling so many people to this place. He says, there I'll meet with you. I won't meet with you in your self-righteousness. I won't meet with you in your Bible stories. I won't meet with you in your Sunday school. I won't, I won't meet with you where you set it up and where you feel comfortable and finally feel ready. I will meet with you exactly where the blood of Jesus touches. The cover over all the commandments of God. The path and the contract so I just want to encourage you right now to close your eyes and just receive that blood, receive that sacrifice and put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in what he's done for you. Because at the end of the day, you can't wait for yourself to feel better or to get guilt out. You must put faith in the finished work of Jesus now that I am saved because of the blood of Jesus, because it's been applied to the cover that gives me access to the commands. It gives me access to the covenant. It gives me access to the contract between heaven and earth that Jesus brings me in. Even though I'm not a son of Abraham, I am through faith now. That's, that's the key. Faith brings me into this righteousness of God. Faith brings me into what he has done and what he will, and it activates what he will do in my heart right here and now. Not propitiation, not, not, not appeasing something, but actually being pleasing to him. To be made righteous, not in a court of law, but in my heart. Transformation happening right now. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So Jesus, we put our faith in you right now. You're our path toward the new. You're our path toward the transformation. We believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we choose today to follow you. We choose today to submit to you. We choose today to lean into you and that you will meet us right there.
dark as it was in the holy place, there were no lights. God said, I'll meet you right there in the darkness. I'll meet you right there in the quiet, past the tambourines, past the singing worshipers, past the, past the animals that were crying out, past the blood that was being shed, past the, 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 all, the, 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 the basin where people are washing themselves, past the candles, past the bread, past the incense, past the songs and the singing and the worship and the prayer. I'll meet you right there in the silence. I'll meet you right there where, there, where you have nothing to offer me. You don't have to pour bucket loads of blood. Just a drop will do. So Lord, we come into your presence humbly. We thank you for the blood of Jesus which has gone before us. And it activates the covenant we have with you. Empower us, Lord, to walk with you in Jesus' name. His precious name. If you're feeling God stirring you, drawing you close, we have links on our main page that you can click on, the next steps. Um, we have people there ready to talk with you and pray with you. We also have a, a prayer line. If we could put that line up um, for them to see this prayer phone number, you can call this number any time of the day, but especially right now, um, people are standing by ready to answer those calls and pray with you. Uh, we, have, we have enough prayer warriors to join in faith with you and connect with you but we want you to reach out we want to help you take the next step of connecting with God and connecting with others um, we have new small groups that are starting up um, here uh, shortly uh, next week we're starting new small groups and it's about what's after ATX and we're going to do it all online we have videos to show we have awesome testimonies to hear and then we have small group leaders that are going to walk you through um each, each, each and every week, but we need you to sign up. We're going to have a major sign up next week, but you can sign up right now by clicking on the link, small groups, and you can hear more about these small groups and others that are meeting. Men's breakfast are meeting online. Women's breakfast are meeting online. Like they're having breakfast virtually with each other. Uh, we're finding ways to connect, and the purpose is that we could draw closer to God together. So we want to continue to be assembled. So please leave a comment, uh, click on one of those links, uh, connect with us. We love you.